Welcome to Adopted, an informative and sometimes entertaining look at the world of adoption from foster care, brought to you by the Massachusetts Adoption Resource Exchange. Together we'll explore resources, hear about interesting community happenings, and meet people involved in supporting Massachusetts adoptive families. I'm your host, Joe Sandigato, Director of Communications and Public Relations for the Massachusetts Adoption Resource Exchange. Today's theme is Stories of Hope and Inspiration. In our podcast today, we'll be talking about the journey for adoptive parents. And we'll also have a visit later in the show from Kate Milligan-Cormier. Kate is an adult adoptee who also works for the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families and is a social worker. And without further ado, I'm excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At the Table. Joining me today at the table is my co-host and child services coordinator for our Western Mass region, Maureen Albano. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you. Hi. Hi. So I thought it might be interesting for our listeners to learn a bit about our journeys as foster and adoptive parents. Of course, we're only two perspectives, right. um, but, you know, it's a way for people to begin to understand this this process. Um, so so if you don't mind sharing, I want to take us back. In our first episode, we talked a lot about um, how we worked within the systems, and we talked a little bit about where we started and who we worked with, right, but right. Um, I thought maybe we could remind people um, about sure. about our journeys, yeah. um, and certainly we have different journeys. I remember yours yours was about 35 years ago, mine 35. was about 20-some-odd yeah. ago, yeah. and it, we were in very different places, yeah. So, but I'm going to go back even before that. So, so what made you consider adoption? Well, the honest truth was inability to have children. And at that point, I mean, it was, adoption was the, the you know, the only alternative. We were the same. Yeah. So as a, yeah. as a male couple. Yeah. Right? Uh, outside of surrogacy. Right. Right? right. So right. we were in the same same mm-hmm. position. Well, so, so remind me again, your journey started with an organization called? Children's Aid and Family Services. Children's Aid and Family Services. Northampton, in- Massachusetts. Okay. Um, great worker. Joan Honeyman, who's now retired. Okay. Oh my God, she was she was my lifeline. It's funny how you remember people. So my oh. so I started with uh, ultimately DCF. Yeah. Right. Um, Cheryl Peltier. Yeah. These are names we'll never forget. We'll never forget because yeah. it was an impactful point in your life, right? right? Oh. And s- how did you learn about the process? How did you? What did you do to? Well, this was before the internet, so it was a lot of talking to people, seeking out people who adopted, who they used. Um, just finding the names of different agencies and, right. and learning about the different types of adoption. Um, you know, there's international adoption. There was private infant adoption. There was foster adoption from foster care. There was, there were just, tr- you know, yeah. terms were being thrown yeah. at you and it was like a whole education process. You need to talk to people who've gone through the process to really figure out which was going to work right. best for you or your family. Um, we did have so. the internet. Barely. It's like, you know, it's like 94, 95. We're beginning to talk. I mean, it it was in its infancy, right? You weren't getting a whole lot of information. The same thing. Right. Going out and talking to people. You're looking. We looked at, we had, um, uh, my cousin-in-law was engaged in international adoption. So she suddenly became the resource on international adoption for Mm -hmm. me. I mean, remember this, there's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. There's no Instagram. There's no mayor. Well, you know, mayor existed in its infancy back then online. Yeah. It's a 61 year old agency, Right. Right. But you know, you could call, yeah, go to an event, yeah. But there was, but you got to know that they exist first of all. Oh, but there was and no. Was where a, did you go? I went to the yeah. library, and then I started to, and, and then you know people, and know, yeah. people know people. Yeah. And it was a different no, no time. No googling at that time. There was no googling. Today we've got everything from web to social media to phone calls. Right. To in per- I mean, it's just it's so easy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's very different. Yeah. So, um, did you consider other types of adoption? I know for us, we looked at surrogacy, we looked at international adoption, oh, domestic we did, adoption. We, we did. We thought of putting ads in, in a newspaper that was and a thing. looking for, you know, maybe a teen mom who who right. couldn't parent her child, and that you know, and that was such a taboo back then. You know, young women having children right. out of wedlock, and it was like. Um, and I knew of people who've done it and were successful. Other people were just totally frustrated and and had some bad experiences. And, um, yeah, I just waited to hear until somebody said, this worked out well for us. 
I would suggest you go this route, and this is why we chose the agency we right. went through. Um, it was a private infant adoption. Um, I waited three years. We waited three years, um, and again, they told us, don't plan on anything. Who knows what, you know, this right. was, the whole future was so uncertain. and A lot of ambiguity in the old Oh, there days, was. Right? I mean, not that, not that there's any level of certainty at any point throughout this process, but today I think it's more, it's out of the shadows. Yeah. Right? Oh. It's, it's more out in the, in the open, oh. whether we're talking about international, domestic, foster, you know, mm -hmm. so, right? There's risk involved with all of it, you know? Yep. That's the one thing that I learned probably yep. early on and, right. and carried with me yeah. is that you have to figure out where you are on the risk spectrum, how much risk you're willing mm -hmm. to take. I mean, for us, um, we decided, it, you know, so again, we're going back to the mid-90s. You might remember that a lot of the um, uh, kids were coming out of Russia and there were some kids coming out of yeah. China, but then yeah. there was all kinds of turmoil around where kids were coming from. And, and so there was just a lot of political turmoil. And we said, you know... There's so many kids right here in yep. the U.S. Let's learn about them. Right. Um, and that's what led us to foster care adoption. And that's ultimately what, what brought us, you know, to the table to, to train, to learn, to, to engage. And, and I think that um, for us, it really became about wanting to make sure that we were giving back in the, the way that was most meaningful. Um, and not that there aren't other options and other mm -hmm. avenues, but our personal choice was why create another life? Yeah. When there were all these children, right. you know, who are looking for homes, and, and that's what led us down this this road. So I think we talked a little bit about was there any training involved in the in the road that you went years ago? Did did you have to do anything? Oh my gosh! Um, well, we couldn't even start the process. I remember until there was a group, a ready-made group of people just like us. I mean, okay. we were clones. We were male, female, married couples. Did y'all have little pixie haircuts? Oh, well, and yeah, we blouses. did. Yeah, that's what we all looked like. The official we had uniform. To, yeah, we had to wait for <laughs> at least twelve couples to to come to the agency and say, "I want to start." You know, I want a family. I want to start the adoption process. Right. So that took almost six, eight months. Started it. Met these same clone people, just like us. Um, was called MAP, which is the Massachusetts approach to partnership in parenting. parenting. Was it called MAP back then? Probably was it. It's probably some other so. version. I, I think that remember. came with the the national rollout of the program, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. okay. Right. But, but you went was, to some sort of class. Yeah. Once a week. Um, it was a real eye opener. Um, about you know, basically they talked about the type of children that from this agency mm -hmm. that um that this agency placed, and we talked about the whole process, what we'd be exposed to, what we'd be asked how we'd have to be looked at under a microscope. You know, it was kind of scary. Um, I remember, but, yeah. But but everybody was still sticking with it. Everybody showed up week after week. Um, and then there was my worker, Joan Honeyman, again, and I just loved her, and I wasn't going to leave her because she just made me feel like, you know, I, like I was just going to do this, and I was going to be able to do it and do it I well. Remember, and, yeah. Well, I remember, yeah, I mentioned Cheryl. Yeah. So that that was our MAP trainer, right? right. And right. Um, and although the MAP trainers weren't necessarily the worker who was assigned to you once yeah. you got through the process, right. I, I remember yeah. it fondly too. Yeah. And we we so MAP was different back then, though. You know, some I always say the current curriculum, as much as people um, sometimes. Um, Feel the weight of the current curriculum, yeah. right? Yeah. That in the old days it was thinner. So oh, I would yeah. err on the side of of getting more information, right? I yeah. think it's really important. I trained right in Worcester, downtown Worcester, in the old DCF building. Right. Used to show right. up every Tuesday night, and yeah. you know, kind of became alums with some of the same people. Long before I taught MAP, I was you know I was in a MAP class, um, yeah. and the home study and matching process was probably very different for me than you. So. So, I, you know, when you, I made an application and then, and then um, my husband and I went through MAP training and then we filled out paperwork about who we were and what our story was. And, and that translates today. That process hasn't changed. No, and um, still and the, same. the matching process was a little different for us. You know, for us back in the 90s, um, we were in a different place socially and politically. And, um, and there wasn't as much opportunity for same-sex couples necessarily to be matched with children, right? right? So right. Um, today I'm really proud to say that, that we work very hard, especially at Mayor. Um, you know, we have our HRC certification, Human Rights Campaign, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, but we take it very seriously, and, and we're, we're very open um, to families of all constellations and, and people of all identities. 
Um, but you know, back in the day, it was a little bit different. You know, you talk about back in the day for you, right? It right. was you know, it was um, heterosexual married couples. You had to prove that this was your only way to have a family. You had to oh, right? yeah, so medical totally proof. different. Yeah, you had to be home. You had to if you're both working. One of you actually had to leave your job for six months to make sure you stayed home with this child. Right. Um, there was a considerable amount of money involved also right. um oh it was just you know in the follow-up and i mean joan i'd loved having her come out but you'd have to make sure your house was spick and span and um you didn't have to i think this was my perception i think of, that of, uh, well that's me you too. know I I, there was never a point in time but you know what the fact of the matter is i've worked with so many workers fantastic workers who remind me all the time joe we know that you live lives yeah we know we know that kids make messes mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to live a spick right. and span perfect life, right? right? But, yeah. So yeah. the matching process for you probably different than than me, um, you know, because you went through, uh, you know, the private side of things. Right. And, right. Um, I'm sure that there was some level of, of compatibility assessment, right, or something that went on. Yeah. And actually, I thought this was so progressive. There was a birth mom who was who uh, a teenage girl who who knew that uh, she was giving her child up for adoption, and even before she delivered, she was shown about six home studies okay. to review and look at. So she actually shows the family that her child wow. was placed with. And I thought at that time, and I think back at it now, how progressive to actually give this young woman the opportunity to make this right. choice. It's hard enough to give up a child, you know, and then... Um, so I thought that was amazing, even happier if you chose Ironic us. Ironically enough, we went through the same thing as uh, uh, foster adoptive parents. Really? Yeah, we had um, uh, one of our, so so I'm jumping the gun a little bit, you know, going through our first adoption, we yeah. went to a, a mare matching party. As a matter of fact, it was at the, we used to call it the Worcester Science Center, and um, now the Worcester Ecotarium, fantastic yeah. place, you'll, you'll remember. Yeah. Um, we met our first two kids there. It was at a, actually at a mayor, a mayor event. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to talk about was this whole idea that, um, that as part of this process, we actually, um, in our case, ended up having, spending some time with mom, and mom got to know us and actually chose us as the place where, where her children yeah. uh, would be adopted. So, you know, it's interesting. It happens even on this side of the, right. the process yeah. as well. What do you think... Um, what do you think is the most confusing part of our current process? You know, I mean, you work with, you know, we're adoptive parents, um, both enculturated into the work, and we have a lens on this, and we work directly in it, and we do it, right? So so what do you, if you had to think about how people provide feedback to you, you know, I'm always talking about everything that comes in through the web and all of our connections and what people are asking, right? What do you think people think the most confusing part of the process is? You know, I, I'm not quite sure I'd refer to it as the most confusing part, but I think people are a little disillusioned about the time that it may take okay. to actually find a specific, the child that they finally want to adopt. Right. Um, they may inquire about a child. I mean, we've got a great website now, families can inquire, but they may not be the perfect match for this child, not that we're looking for perfect matches, um, but maybe an adoption worker feels that maybe the family um, his children who are maybe too young sure. um, or uh, just having kids of, at all, birth kids in and the we home. Match, we match for strengths. We match. We, yeah, want, we, we want a family's strengths to support a child's needs, not right. the other way around. Exactly. Right? So Nicely put. Yes. Nice, so, so just or to, can, let me make reference to that, right? So I uh, today attend an event. I go to your Westfield Boys and Girls Club event, and right. I learn about adoption from foster care, and I think, oh my God, I can do this. It yeah. might be a couple of years until I actually have a child in my home, potentially. Right. right. I have to make right. an application. I have to go through that process. I've got to go through MAP training. Right. I've got to get home studied. Mm -hmm. I've got to, then I've got to either uh, engage or be engaged in the matching process right. where you can be as proactive as you want. We mm -hmm. talked a little bit about that at the last show, right? right? You can show up at things or you can wait for people to right. call you. Right. Then you've got to have placement for a while you go through a disclosure meeting and then you have to you know we're going to go through process in the next transition one, right? but yeah learning about the child and meeting year and a half child. two years i mean that's yeah. not not an unrealistic timeline i yeah. i would share that with you um you know what's really interesting for me i would think the most confusing part of the process um and, and we did talk about this in the last show um is centered around the all the people out in the community who do the work um you know what it took me a long time to understand 
DCF is at the heart of every foster care adoption here in the state of Massachusetts, yeah. whether it's through a contracted agency or it's, you know, with very few exceptions yeah. for very special needs, right? So I didn't know that. I didn't know that for, for the first couple of, it, it didn't, you know, I was working with the department, yeah, but then I had, right. um, luck came in and then we had uh, Catholic Charities, one of the children was connected with, and we had all, the, uh, who are all these people? Yes. Right? Yep. A lot of people are going to, you're going to be interacting gonna, with a lot of people. We're yep. going to talk about that as, as, as these shows progress, right? But that's that's a big piece for me, people right. understanding. So so you can find out about all of this through us. Right. You will engage either with DCF or a contracted agency as you make application. You have to do training, mm -hmm. and you have to have a home study done, and there'll be some visits, and there'll be some checks, and there'll be all. Then, matching time. Yeah. Right? You yeah. can come to our parties, or you can wait for someone to call you, or you and Go online, yeah, and find yeah, and find children that you think would be appropriate yeah. for your family. And then we're then we're uh, off through the DCF process, the final part of the adoption process with many of these kids, and that can take some time today. Yeah. Um, and then and then we finally get to adoption, right? But yeah. it, but I think that's it's it's interesting. I think people would be very interested to to know about the about the time. And then, um, so, what's one thing that you would tell anyone? Really considering any form of adoption, what would you what would you say to them? Don't give up. Just don't give up. Um, persevere. You may find that it, the, the process is frustrating sometimes, um, mainly because of maybe wait time. Um, it, it's it's difficult working with DCF. I mean, we, we adoption workers are tough to get a hold of. Um, this is why. Yeah, mayor is is a great conduit for you. I mean, uh, you know, we maybe have a little more of a streamline to adoption workers to get answers for you um, on questions about children. So please Thanks. use us. Please use us as your conduit. And it'll kind of tone down the frustration maybe. All right. Well, I, I, you know, I intended on talking a little bit about vocabulary every show, but we did a good job demystifying oh. it as we were going through right. it. So we, I don't think we, we talk terms, yeah. 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 So if anybody if anybody heard anything that they didn't understand, give us a call. You know, you can always check us on Facebook, Mayorink.org, call us at 617-964-6273. Um, and now it's time for one of my favorite segments. It's introducing the children. So Mo, we're gonna learn about Matthew and a sibling group today of Chance, Hope, and Keith. Tell us about our kids today. Well, I'm going to tell you about 14-year-old Matthew, registration number 4529. He is of Hispanic descent, and he enjoys playing video games and playing outside. He is a sports enthusiast, and he enjoys watching and playing all different types of sports. Sporty little guy. He is. Everyone who knows Matthew knows that he is mm. very active. He is legally freed to be adopted. Um, his social worker is open to exploring a male, female, two women, or a single female family for Matthew. Although Matthew can do well around male caretakers, he would do best with also having a female caretaker. And sometimes we have those notes just because there are certain circumstances that, you know, that, that prevent um, placement in certain family constellations. And so... We might see, we talked about constellations last time, and in case listeners are picking us up in show two, we should say constellations are combinations or ways in which, you know, family, um, you know, parenting happens. And so if you see notes, mm -hmm. you know, always yeah. ask. You can still call us, right? right? Of if course. you want to find out more, but we try and guide it a little right. bit. Right. right? Uh, his social worker is exploring families who feel they could be a good match for Matthew regardless of what state they reside in. So okay. out-of-state families, you can be considered too. He's legally free to be adopted. Great. Okay, and now we have a sibling group. We've got Chance, we have Hope, and we have Keith. Uh, it looks like we've got twins. It looks like maybe Chance and, and uh, Hope or Keith okay. are, are nine years old. Maybe not. I don't know. And one of them is 11, registration number Seven two six seven, seven two six eight, and seven two seven zero. So Hope, Chance, and Keith are a vivacious sibling group of three, and they're of African American descent. Hope and Chance, here's the twins, are nine year old twins. There and we go. Yeah, and their older brother Keith is eleven. Hope is energetic, friendly, and a polite little girl. That was me when I was a little kid. Were you a play oh, yeah. oh, oh, definitely, yeah. I right. can't Are you kidding? Else. Are you kidding? Uh, she's <laughs> very proud of her accomplishments, especially in school. Hope likes to play outside, is very active, and she enjoys going to the park. 
She is also very artsy and likes to do arts and craft projects. She is an avid reader. Good for her. My mother would oh love you. Oh, my gosh. That was me. Yeah, and also recently expressed interest in design. Oh, so. I think you know what I made to look at this. I, okay, reader design. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. Keep going. Number Keep going. eight. Don't, Are we looking at number eight, nine, or ten here? <laughs> so Chance is kind-hearted and soft-spoken. Guess that wasn't me. He is described as gentle yet playful for those who know him best. Chance loves physical play such as basketball, soccer, bike riding, swimming. Active. He, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he loves Pokemon and Legos. Who doesn't love Legos? I think every every. Kid has Legos, uh, right, right, in right. Their, in their They're going to go on to eternity because uh, I think they're constantly going to be consistently making Legos. I think so. Anyway, Chance reports that he likes school and his favorite subject is math. Keith is quiet. He's a very reserved young boy who is known to be a very good friend. Oh. He's, yep. He's very athletic, enjoys sports, and participating in activities outside. He's an outside kind of guy. All right. He also likes to read. He's a great advocate for himself and for his siblings. He has great relationships with his caregivers, and he is able to make friends easily. Aww. That's a good trait to have. Yeah. I make friends easily, Mo. You do? I do. Well, I think that's how I met you. Oh, okay. I think I just walked up and introduced maybe, myself. No, maybe it was me who made friends with you. Possible. Okay. All right. Let's get back to All right. Chance and Keith. So Hope, <laughs> Chance, and Keith would like to grow up together in a permanent loving home. They want to stay together, and the children have requested that their future family consist of a mom and a dad and some pets. Okay. Um, they're legally freed to be adopted also. Great. So if you want to learn more about Matthew, who is registration number 4529, or a sibling group of Chance, Hope, and Keith, registration numbers 7267, 7268, and 7270. Of course, you can always visit us at marink.org, call us at 617-964-6273, attend an event, or follow and like us on social media at MassAdopt, that's M-A-S-S-A-D-O-P-T, all one word, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mo, this is another fantastic show. Thank you for joining me again. You're it's been welcome. very educational. You're and welcome. of course, I love working with you. Oh, I like working this with you, This is a lot too. of fun. It's I very exciting. Well, thank you. We'll see you again next month. Okay. All right. You so we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with our special guest, Kate Milligan-Cormier, who's an adult adoptee and DCF social worker. Be right back. Joining me in the studio is Megan Dolan, our Director of Development. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Joe. Happy to be here. Thanks. So we're going to share some information about a fun upcoming party at Jordan's Furniture. You want to tell everyone a little bit about it? I do. This is one of our uh, big annual events. This is the Beanstalk Adoption Party. It's going to be Sunday, March 24th at Jordan's Furniture in Reading from 830 to 11. And this party is designed for families who have already begun MAP training or are further along in the process. Great. So if people want to register or for more information, you can visit us at marink.org. Call us at 617-964-6273. And for information about uh, all kinds of different events, visit the website. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you at Beanstalk. See you at Beanstalk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is our Adopt Talk segment where I get the opportunity to introduce you to community members who have interesting roles and stories about adoption. My next guest has been an inspiring resource for me professionally and personally. She was adopted as a youth and has been engaged in connecting with her biological family as an adult. She's also been working to support Massachusetts foster and adoptive families for over a decade and her role as a social worker for the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families. 
have Kate Milligan Cormier with me today. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me. No problem. So, for full disclosure, um, some of you who are listening may actually remember Kate and I as a duo for MAP class. Yes. I'm trying not to use the Mac, all of the acronyms, and we're trying to educate people. So, the Massachusetts partnership approach to partnership in parenting. Yes. Um, so we do have a little bit of a history, but I was interested uh, to learn a little bit more about your adoption story over time. Um, and so why don't we, you know, do you mind if we get into that sure. piece of it first? We'll yeah. just jump in. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your adoption story. Um, how old were you? When you I adopted? was a newborn. Um, I was adopted in 1975, giving away my age here. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You can do it. I can't do it. <laughs> It'd be rude if I did it. Yeah. Um, I was actually born in Newton Wellesley Hospital, uh, mm. and my bio mom, uh, which I found this out later, and we'll get into that later, obviously sure. too. But um, was uh, eighteen when she had me, and um, had contacted Catholic Charities to give me up for adoption. Okay. Um, and at that point, I I think I, from what I can gather, I spent a few days in foster care before. Um, my adoptive family, who I will refer to as my parents in this sure. podcast, because sure. they are, of course, yeah. So um, then, uh, and then I was uh, raised my whole life, uh, okay. yeah. And I have an older adoptive brother, um, who was also adopted as an infant. He's four years older than I am. Who okay, was and were you uh, four years older? So he was uh, also as an infant. So right. he had some lead time yes. with your family. Yes. Okay. An interesting story is when I connected with my bio mother um, as an adult, my last name is Milligan, my maiden name is Milligan, and her maiden name is Mulligan. I think that's great. Which is just, it blew my mind away. Right. um, That we were, you know, had that that connection, which she did not know um, that. She didn't know anything about my... About the family. Correct. Right. And so did your mom know? Did no. your your mom didn't re- recognize that either? Nope. It wasn't until you connected. Wow, that's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I really am Amish now. Yeah, <laughs> through and through. Yes. So, so that's a little bit about you know how your story started. Yes. Um, and we're gonna you know we're gonna carry that forward uh, into you know adulthood and and talk about that. But before that, you know, you have such a unique lens on this work. You and I have had some great conversations about all of this, and I love people who have multiple lenses into the work because you can see things from so many different perspectives. And so, so given that you worked with a number of families over the years who, mm-hmm. you know, were adopting and, and, um, and, and were thinking about uh, their children and what those relationships would be like later in life, what do you think are the most important aspects of being an adoptive child that prospective and, and adoptive parents need to know? You know, from the perspective of a youth, what do you think you could, could share with them and, and how, you know? I think being honest um, with with the children certainly is, is first and foremost. Um, I think you know when I was adopted, there was a lot of secrecy around sure. adoption, um, which has changed for the better over the years, um, in my opinion. Um, but I certainly think with my adoption, there was always this mystery mm-hmm. of my story. Why was I adopted? What were the circumstances around that? And I, I had all these unknown questions that were swirling around my mind throughout my entire childhood um and my mom you know would tell these stories to me that she would find me snooping in her bedroom and looking under her bed and looking okay. in her bureaus because I knew she knew something and she was just keeping it from me and she didn't know anything my parents did not know anything it was so completely closed adoption walk walk me back though did little Kate ask questions or did little I Kate just have it in her head yeah it was all swirling around in my head Kay. that you know because I was, I, I was loyal to my parents. I didn't ever want them to think that I didn't love them. Sure. I didn't appreciate, you know, being their daughter or, um, you know, and I never, I never felt I, you know, I, I wasn't a part of the family or anything like that. We were a very close, sure, you know, family. But um, you knew. Yes, I knew, and it, I. It I, wasn't I, hidden from no, you. No, and I remember the day my mother told me I was adopted. I, c- I could go back there, right now in my yeah. mind and because I didn't re- even really know what it meant. Um, I remember standing in our kitchen helping my mother make chicken soup. And we loved to cook together. It was something that we did all the time. And sure. she had this conversation with me about that I was not, you know, born in her belly. And 
How old were you at this point? Do you remember? I think I was either four or five. Okay. Um, and and I remember thinking like, just trying to figure that out. Like, really, what did that mean? And your brother at this point would have been what eight or nine when yep. he's four years older. Yep. So did he know? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. He, my parents have always been very forthcoming about my mother had some fertility struggles sure um you know when they first got married and um you know always wanted to have kids and this was their way to sure. to to do that so um so what was that like so so you're cooking soup with mom yep and she's talking about the fact that you didn't come from her belly right and so did you was there a point where you had like an aha moment did you get it yeah, I so our house is kind of it was an old colonial. So the kitchen was in the back of the house, and we had this front den room that mm -hmm. was like our TV room. And I remember running into the front den room to my dad and saying, you know, I ran in and I said, "Mom said I'm adopted. Mom said I'm adopted. What is that like? You know, just really confused right. and like, what does that mean?" And then my, you know, my dad said, just tried to explain it to me a little bit more and kind of, you know, process it, really talk about it, what that really meant. And right. then it was kind of like. Oh, okay. Like in a four or five year old mentality, like that's not, it didn't change right. anything. Mom is still mom. Dad is right. still dad. Right. But, at, you know, as I got older, you know, mm -hmm. then you really start to figure out what that means and how my family is different. You know, I don't look like anybody in my family. My parents are short. Sure. Um, my brother and I, my brother's blonde and blue eyed. I am okay. dark, um, dark hair, dark eyes, dark right. complexion. Um, we are kind of a mishmash of a of a family. So, um, but your parents also don't have information, right? They, right. So you said they don't have a lot of information. There's there's right. not a lot to share. So right. they're not holding back. They just right. There's just nothing really to to share. To share. And you know, my mother, you know, when I talked to my mother about finding my um, bio mom, she said to me, "I always knew that you would be the one to search." My brother has no interest at okay. all in searching, and that's his. You know. Yeah, that's well, how he feels. I, you know, I have seven adopted children myself, yep. and they have varying levels of interest in right. finding their families. And, yeah. and, and I think one thing that's interesting, though, is that most families that I've talked to, many of the families I work with, um, you know, at, at Mayor and in my other uh, outreach work, uh, talk about the fact that most kids get there at some point. Yep. Most, not all. Right. You know, I've met right. children who, uh, adult children who just don't have any interest. Yeah. Again, my own my own experience with my kids is that it's all over the board. Right. Right. Some of them want to seek out. Some of them want to do it at a distance. And yep. I guess today with media, social media, you know, and, and yeah. information being at our fingertips. Yep. Right. It's easy to kind of what do the kids say? Creep. <laughs> yes. Creep, creep, and look around. <laughs> yeah. Um, up to and including you know full connection. Right. So and and that wasn't a benefit. Um, you know, in the seventies and the eighties no. and the nineties because information wasn't. Right. Easy to come by. It's very, right. very different today. Yep. Um, yep. Okay. So, so I think you know. So you have you and your brother. You both understand that you're adopted. You had a lovely upbringing. You have a lovely family. Mm -hmm. And um, and so one of the things that we were going to talk about today was again from your lens, your perspective, and, mm -hmm. and because you have so many different lenses into the work. Right. As a social worker, as someone who's worked with adoptive families, as yep. an adoptee, an adult adoptee yourself. I can remember back to when we uh, actually talked about you coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It was you and I were having lunch, and it was you know you had connected with your mom, and um, you know that whole thing was was playing out. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you know to the extent that you're comfortable with sharing, I'd mm -hmm. love to kind of pick your brain and and get your thoughts. And you know for those people who are listening who have kids who are getting older or parents who are thinking you know what is this experience going to be like or for some of our adult adoptees that listen and are, are struggling with mm -hmm. uh, or are thinking about you know how to approach all of this I'd love your perspective it's one story mm -hmm. um, but tell me a little bit about connecting with mom and, and connecting with your family how did you how did you start the process so I was 25 uh, when I initially started the process where I kind of felt like I graduated college I was just I felt ready and I don't really know how to explain that feeling it was just a sense of okay I I was just it, it was just a strange like I just knew that I had to do it I, I had to take the mystique out of you know the unknown to me and you know one thing I think in my mind I'm thinking what am I gonna find because 
you know, yeah. being a social worker, I know that some of these stories sure. don't end up, you know, it's not rainbows and butterflies. Right. It's, you know, people have substance abuse issues, you know, there's mental health issues. There's all of those components that play into that. And what am I going to find? And am I going to re regret this decision? Um, Can I ask a precursor question? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so four or five moms says, hey, you're adopted. Mm -hmm. And 25, you start your search. Mm -hmm. What's in your mind? you know as, as you're growing up is it are you checking in with it once in a while and then putting it away I mean you, you know you said you get to the point you know you're graduating college and you want to know more yeah. right but you must have checked in yeah once in a while thinking about it yeah I mean I certainly went through some terrible teenage years where I was pretty awful to my mother and I had to apologize <laughs> <laughs> when I became a mom well, teens are teens <laughs> all around yes yeah, so. you know where I would tell her she wasn't my mother she couldn't tell me what to do gotcha. um, those kind of hurtful things I definitely went through that that phase um, but I, I do think the component of the, of the unknown I don't know if it it made it easier because I really I, I didn't know anything so there really sure. wasn't you know as a little girl I remember having these fantasies of oh well maybe that's my mother like right. I would, I'd right. see, this see somebody I would see this beautiful woman walk by with brown hair and brown eyes and right. like, oh well maybe that's my mom and you know if she only knew she looks you know right and um you know little things like that but I don't remember I just always remember knowing one day that I would and I think try yeah. to find her and many adult adoptees that I talk to have yeah in some capacity yeah you know I mean not to make light of earlier I was saying you know some people are you know kind of on the periphery and looking yeah but, but it's true yeah yeah, right? There's yeah. Some, so 25, you 25. decide I'm going yep, to approach this. Who did you look for first? I looked, so I wrote a letter to Catholic Charities um, and basically filled out a form that said, you know, I was adopted in 1975 and, you know, wrote them a check and said, please send me, you know, at, they had said they could send me non-identifying information at that point, okay. which was fine with me. I did not know my nationality. I, I knew nothing so about. It's, so really it's a sealed record adoption right? right sealed record adoption right so then I get a call about three weeks later from an, a social worker from Catholic Charities and said well how much do you really want to know and I said okay well what does that mean right <laughs> and she said well we have a letter in your file from your bio mom from 1985 that says if you ever reached out okay. to contact her and she wants contact with you and I was like well Okay. All right then. Yeah. So that was certainly a surprise. So I said, uh, first I, I had asked that they send me all the information that they would have sent me without that letter. So I could take a look at sure. that and kind of process all of that information. And then um, I got that information. I read all of, I mean, I, I went through it with my mom. I went through it with, um, you know, personal friends of mine and called Catholic Charities back and said, I I want to know more. I want to, yeah, I want to connect with her, okay. however that can happen. Um, and then they facilitated a phone call. Wow. And that's how we, and then we ended up, um, she lives in upstate New York. Um, we ended up meeting in Albany for um, for the day. That's so, great. So, yeah. so walk me back. So you're yep. reading through the file. I'm reading through the file. what's going through your mind? Is it, are there blanks being filled? In? Like, is it enough information that you're yeah, she beginning to fill the gaps in your own? Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely, oh you know, her, her story is, is kind of a typical story of being sent away. Okay. Um, you know, she was raised in upstate New York uh, by a very Irish Catholic family. She had a summer fling, got pregnant. Um, they, as a family, decided that she was going to give this baby up for adoption. Okay. Um, her sister was going to uh, BU, I believe, for nursing and was living off campus. And so she was sent um, to Newton to live with my aunt. And um, contacted Catholic Charities and just kind of went through wow. that process. And as the story goes, uh, my biological father found out about the pregnancy and went to my grandparents' house, and my grandfather ran him off the property with a shotgun. Wow! And said, "Yeah, we're we're all set here." Well, so I mean, it, to contextualize it, it was also a different time. Correct. Right. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. did things a little bit differently. Yeah. Although, what's interesting is uh, your story. Um, about mom checking in some 10 years later and, and sort of being permissive, yep. right, about contact is is relatable to me because one of my children um, had a mother who recognized that she couldn't parent 
a child mm -hmm. and uh, gave my son up as an infant. Yep. Um, he became engaged in the foster care uh, adoption process. Nine years later, he came to live with us. And although mom had been off the radar screen, once in a while she would she would check in, mm -hmm. right? So there was no open adoption agreement, you know, because I'm, uh, I'm thinking, you know, your story is contextualized by the time that it happened right. and the way in which it happened. Right. But there are um, also, you know, kids in foster care whose parents may not have an open adoption agreement, or maybe there was an open adoption agreement and it just didn't roll forward, right. who then come back later, right? So, yeah. so parents do come into their, come yeah. back into their yeah. children's lives. And yeah, um, and I, 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 I think foster, I think children who are in foster care that end up going on the adoption track and, and where open adoption agreements um, are implemented when they are when they are able to be facilitated in the best interest of the child can be an amazing experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know, it certainly I don't think would have worked in my situation um, necessarily just because of, uh, again, the time that, that was going on at that point. But I, I do think it would have taken the, the mystery out of my my yeah. you know if it, even if my parents had known a little bit more well and i hear i hear families now telling stories uh more domestic than international i mean that's a lot has changed as a matter of yeah. fact in an upcoming podcast we're going to talk about all the different ways in which families have formed oh, and great. uh some of the changes you know mm -hmm. when i was uh beginning this process in the 90s international adoption was very prevalent and right. if you look at the numbers it's in very big decline but yeah. But domestic adoption, it's uh, yeah. not unusual now yeah. uh, to sometimes have an open adoption agreement with private domestic adoption, right. you know, where people stay chained together. I think, you know, the for the sake of uh, health information and, and even yeah. at just a, a very basic level, you know, having yeah. a connection to to the biological family is, is so important. Um, but I think, you know, when we're talking about foster care and adoption, uh, I've been through a number of uh, open adoption uh, agreements and... Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things we always used to say in math class is, you know, here in the state of Massachusetts, the it's it's part of the construct, right? Open adoption agreements yeah. are often um, thought of as as being part of the process by the courts and um, and certainly carried forward by the department. But but really, when they work, they're, they're great. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're great. It keeps the child plugged into their past, into yep. their history. Um, and you brought up this idea of uh, the mystery of it all, the wondering, and the you know, w when you can maintain that connection, yeah, right, it just helps to fill in some of those, right, fill and in some and, of those and gaps. that was certainly my drive. It was was the mystery of it, like wh who am I? Right. You know, my my identity. Your identity is formed so much by, you know, your biological history. You know, and when I met my mom in Albany that day, I will never forget when she walked through that door, and I said, "Holy." This woman looks exactly like me. Yeah. Never in my life. It's your people. Ha yeah. And I'm, you know, and I, it was just, it was overwhelming because never in my life had anybody looked like me. Right. And there she was. Which you know, is very different than than what many biological children experience because you show up at a family event and right. they're you, oh cousin Jenny looks like you and Uncle right. Mike looks a little like your brother right and, right so. Right. So what was yeah. that? What was that like? You've you've met extended family. You yeah. You know. My aunt, who my mom um, lived with um, prior to my birth, lives in Nashua. Um, and my mom went on to college, became a labor and delivery nurse, got married, wow. and had five boys. Wow! So five yeah. brothers. Yes, five brothers, and one um, lives locally here. He went to uh, Suffolk University, ended up meeting his wife, and and lives uh, locally here. So I get oh my to gosh. yeah yeah instant family. It is an instant family, and it's, you know, my brothers and I have, you know, it's, it's kind of corny to say, but have this somewhat cosmic connection. Right. We have very similar sarcastic personalities, and we we just, it, it, you can't even describe it. It's just a very natural relationship, bonding. Um, That's great. We are just, they are a part of me, and, you know, it's been an interesting. It's been an interesting uh, experience because they have opened me with, op you know, and then going back to, you know, they always knew about me. Sure. Um, my mom had named me Emily, so they referred to me as Emily. Oh wow! They celebrated my birthday every year. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, my mom, you know, and I'm, you know, I don't know if I've ever really had the conversation with my mom if she ever regrets her decision. I think she's happy that. I had a great childhood mm -hmm. and that, you know, I 
you know, turns out to be somewhat okay. Um, <laughs> that, well adjusted and yeah. a normal person. Yes, no, yeah, 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 but it is. But yeah, but I think uh, you know that she can, you know, knowing that. Well, the, the one thing I've learned is, and, and I had a really great friend many years ago as I was starting this process, who uh, she herself um, was an adoptee, and um, and is one thing that she kept talking. I'm sorry, I, I'm telling the story wrong. She was a mother who gave up a child for adoption. Okay. Her, yep. her child was an adoptee. Um, and she had unplugged, and it was during that time when, you know, you, you kind of unplugged. Same story as your mom. And, and she always um, was so close to my kids um, and wished that she could have been closer to her child, but respected the confidentiality and was able right. to, you know, kind of um, frame it. But I think parents, you know, the one thing she taught me and, and other parents who I've since met have taught me is that the same kind of sense of wonder, mm -hmm. right, exists on both sides of the equation. Yep. So when it can be healthy and it can happen, right, right it helps to fill gaps for both people um, in spite of the fact that, you know, one of the big challenges that, um, that somebody sort of raised it to me in a particular way and they said, you know, you've got that uh, friend who you haven't seen for a couple of decades. You went to college and you were the greatest of friends and you're in town together and you're going to get together and have dinner and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you sit awkwardly because <laughs> what you had in common is so yeah. far uh, so far yeah. away but but with families that seems to be overcome right, right. so it's it's overcome you're yeah. getting to meet other people can i flip the lens a little bit mm -hmm. can we talk about um and i'm going to just use terminology so that people understand what i'm saying but so adopted mom yep how does adopted mom feel about bio mom because there's there's an element of i know a lot of adoptive parents yeah. um worry about what is going to happen with their child when they meet a biological yeah, parent and, yeah. and emotionally what happens. You know, it's it's interesting. So I, I said that, you know, my, my parents, you know, had said to me, we always knew that you would be the one to look because of, you know, things that had I had done in my childhood in regards sure. to like snooping through the room and things. Um, so when I finally, you know, said, you know, had the conversation that I was going to start the search process and, you know, I was going to request that information from Catholic Charities, um, my parents were very supportive and open and basically just said we are here no matter what you find obviously that's that's that's, that's a and that's yeah that, that's a good response yeah it was i mean i have to say my parents i have been truly blessed with very supportive parents in every aspect of my life so that's been that's been amazing um my brother however my older brother uh did not have a uh as as positive response he okay. he felt that i was being disloyal to my parents um and of course he doesn't feel the same no. the same urge right no. so he's not no. relating to how you're feeling yeah, about no. wanting to seek out your family no no and even you know for the you know you mentioned the medical component you know just finding out medical history you know answering questions that a doctor actually asked me for once that i actually knew the answer to was you know shocking to me like right. oh i actually have those answers <laughs> for once <laughs> i could tell you yeah yeah um, but yeah, my brother was, was totally, um, totally against it. Um, but that has kind of shifted a little bit, obviously, cause time has passed and it's, right. it's proven to, to not be, um, you know, it, it's, n it's not a negative, it's, it's a positive at this sure. point. Things have, um, have worked out really well, which has been also a blessing. So, um, and my parents actually met my bio mom and her husband uh that's fantastic probably about 10 years ago i would say um we met we were all the cape at the same time vacationing and we went to dinner and that's it great it was it was awkward i will say it was you know but just because of the situation i think you know you know my mother was very thankful for her and you know, she was very thankful for my mother and, you know, it was, but you could, it was a little. Well, it, it, and it is, yeah. and I'll, and I'll yeah. tell you from the, so I'll use my own yeah. perspective, you know, which is all I can really judge things on. I, yeah. I've always been open um, with, with regard to my kids and with them having ongoing relationships and deciding what those relationships are like. But there, there is a part of you that, that is a little uh, fearful um, that something is going to get upset in the process. Right. There are parents who I've met who um, have kids who have gone into some decline and, you know, mm -hmm. around the, the psychological aspects of things or sometimes, you know, being reinculturated into a family dynamic that's not particularly healthy. And I think right. those, you know, those are real yeah. concerns. Right. Um, but I never wanted to ever be the one to stand in the way. And it sounds like your, you know, your yeah. parents were, were much the same. You know, and I do think the one good thing about my situation is that my 
my bio family does live seven hours away. Right. And I don't know. So it, it's been easy for me to keep those boundaries because you can compartmentalize right, a little bit. I can, I have my life here mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, they will come here a few times a year. Um, I was just out there for my grandmother's, um, my grandmother passed away and I was out there for her services. Um, Sorry to hear about that. yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you're, you're part of a, an extended family. There's, right, there's, right. There's a connection but, you plug but in. But I, I, do, I do think it has helped with my family, with my parents, that we are not all enmeshed. Right. I think that has definitely If they lived down the street and right. it was an ongoing, constant yes. connection. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting. So, so tell me, did this lead you into social work? I mean, it, what kind of led you down that, I think, that path? You know, it's funny. I... I've always thought about that. What you know, what did lead me into social work? I think my my mom has always been a very compassionate person. She was a special ed teacher. Okay. Um, I volunteered in her classroom all my life. Um, she drove. She was a teacher, and she drove a special ed school bus before and after school. My really? mother was like the hardest working woman you'll That's ever meet. That's great. So, um, which I hated as a child being dropped off at school dances in the <laughs> special ed van. But <laughs> it's okay. But it it gave me you know. Um, well, perspective. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure, right? Absolutely. I did. So, so it's interesting that um, we have a little bit of that in common because my mom worked for um, the old DMR, which is now DBS yep. service, um, and so I grew up yeah. with her, um, uh, oftentimes doing before and after work care yep. and and um, and having um, folks who had some intellectual disabilities, yep. Um, yep. you know, as part of our life. And it sounds like that's part of yours too. And that yeah. Makes you think a certain way. It right? does. It does. I think it, it, it frames your perspective on um, all different kinds of people in the world. And and I remember one time my mother and I were in Boston. I don't know what we were doing there, but we were in Boston Common, and there was a older homeless woman who had fallen um, on the sidewalk. And my mom went out and picked her up, mm-hmm. walked her, you know, helped her get up, and right. you know, got her on the bench and talked to her. And I just remember thinking, no one else here is doing that. Nope. Not one person. Fifty people walking by. Right. Right. Yeah, well, that's and that's a little bit of how I grew up. So I think that creates a certain mindset. Yeah. So maybe that was kind yeah. of what led you yeah. into that. And so, um, as a social worker, um, I don't let's see if I get this right. Ongoing first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you move to the ADLU, the adoption. I was an a, I was ongoing and then adoption social worker. Okay. Yep. Then the yep. ADLU. Yep. Which is adoption development licensing unit. Yep. Trying to watch my acronym, <laughs> which is uh, that's the unit for anyone listening who is thinking about uh, adopting. Uh, that's the unit of social workers who would work with your family, Correct. right? Yep. And then now you're doing recruitment. recruitment. Yeah, foster care recruitment, which okay. I love. Yeah. So, do you think that being an adopted child influenced the way you did your work? I mean, we oh, d- yeah. leading you to social work for sure was you know yeah. part of how you were inculcated by mom, but yeah, yeah, it absolutely frames. Um, because I, I just think of the, you know, the kids, you know, I, I'm still in touch with, um, one particular child who I was, I was her an adoption social worker. Um, and yeah, I I wanted to adopt her. We were very, very close. Her mom had passed away and, um, and we've just maintained a, a, a good friendship, which has been nice, but I definitely think it has social work. You know, my adoption has framed my social work just in the way that I interact with people. Right. Um, and, you know, giving, having that perspective for these kids and knowing what they are going through. You know, certainly I, I was not removed from my biological parents' home, so I don't have that experience. But right. I, but I do have, you know, the perspective of, of being adopted and, you know, always, you know, living in a home that, you know, is not biologically yours. And, and that is a unique experience. Right. Um, and, it, and it helps you to be, uh, it helps you to relate, right, right. As, as you're going through the work. And so, so I guess one of the things that, that we should probably share is a little bit about uh, recruitment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So as a DCF recruiter, so mayor uh, since 1957 has been sort of the uh, agency of record, if you will, um, promoting adoption here in the state of Massachusetts. And, and we're an exchange, we're not an agency, right? Which means that we help to form connections between children who are waiting in foster care for adoptive homes and adoptive families. And so that's our role and our function. And as a recruiter, 
you're doing much of the same on the on the foster care side right right we are so um, we are going and really just sharing with the community what what are the requirements to be a foster parent because I think there's a lot of misconceptions within the community about you know can you be single um, you know can you be a part of the LBGTQ community right. um, do you, can you live in an apartment all of these things that I think you know we are getting the word out within the community so we go to a lot of you know community events um, you know within within the community um, to try to promote um, you know answering those questions for people and you know getting folks to apply and right. go through go through that process yeah and yeah. I've seen you know, we, we bump into each other right I've seen you out and about and yeah. and certainly I think anything that applies uh, to mayor any of the any of the information that we share right about right. families and who you can be and we have a whole frequently asked questions piece and some myths um, all apply on the DCF side because it's really the same you know population um, of, of kids it's the same kind of criteria um, we're just working on behalf of as are you right, right? kids who are in foster care so yeah um, so I, I you know I didn't really know where we would where we would go today and I'm glad that we were able to kind yeah. of share your perspective we I could talk for hours Joe. well we could just <laughs> we could just sit in this room for for a really long time uh, but tell me is there you know so because we were kind of organic and free flow anything yep. pressing in your mind any any thoughts that you have as we start to wrap up here about no I think what that parents should know what kids might want to know any I I really think adoption is is a gift on both ends and I think anyone if you have any questions um, you know want to apply to be a foster parent or pre-adoptive parent uh, you, you can go to the mass.gov website um, and you can call the 1-800 number which is 1-800-543-7508 um, and talk to somebody about getting an application or filling out an inquiry form. Well, that's great. So, yeah. Well, yeah. we appreciate you. Thank you for joining me, and, and I'm sure that, like uh, me, our listeners appreciate your time and learning a little bit more about your story. Um, if people want more information about our topics today, including how to become an adoptive parent, uh, if you want to be a foster parent, Kate has shared that information with you. If you want to be an adoptive parent, you can visit us at mayorink.org or call 617-964-6273. And don't forget to look for our show next month where we'll discuss more adoption-related topics and meet new and interesting guests. Kate, thanks for joining us. Thanks, And Joe. thank all of you for joining us, and we'll look forward to next month.